a basket of mushrooms. With the other, he playfully fingered a cheap watch chain on his waistcoat. On seeing us, he was taken aback, smoothed his waistcoat, coughed politely, and gave an agreeable smile, as though he were delighted to see such nice people as us. Then, to our complete surprise, he came up to us, scraping with his long feet on the grass, bending his whole person, and, still smiling agreeably, lifted his hat and pronounced, in a sugary voice, with intonations of a whining dog, "'Aye, gentlemen, painful as it is, it is my duty to warn you that shooting is forbidden in this wood. Pardon me for venturing to disturb you, though unacquainted, but allow me to present myself.' I am Grantovsky, the head clerk on Madame Kandurin's estate. Pleased to make your acquaintance, but why can't we shoot? Such is the wish of the owner of this forest. The prince and I exchanged glances. A moment passed in silence. The prince stood looking pensively at a big fly at his feet, which he had crushed with his stick. Grantovsky went on smiling agreeably. His whole face was twitching, exuding honey, and even watch-chain on his waistcoat seemed to be smiling and trying to impress us all with its refinement. A shade of embarrassment passed over us like an angel passing. All three of us felt awkward. "'Nonsense,' I said. "'Only last week I was shooting here.' Very possible, Grantovsky sniggered through his teeth. As a matter of fact, everyone shoots here regardless of the prohibition. But once I've met you, it is my duty, my sacred duty to warn you. I'm a man in a dependent position. If the forest were mine, on the word of honor of Grantovsky, I shouldn't oppose your agreeable pleasure. But whose fault is it that I am in a dependent position? The lanky individual sighed and shrugged his shoulders. I began arguing, getting hot and protesting, but the more loudly and impressively I spoke, the more mawkish and sugary Grantovsky's face became. Evidently, the consciousness of a certain power over us afforded him the greatest gratification. He was enjoying his condescending tone, his politeness, his manners, and with peculiar relish pronounced his sonorous surname, of which he was probably very fond. Standing before us he felt more than at ease, but judging from the confused sideway glances he cast from time to time at his basket, only one thing was spoiling his satisfaction, the mushrooms, womanish, peasantish prose derogatory to his dignity. "'We can't go back,' I said. "'We have come over ten miles.' "'What's to be done?' sighed Grantovsky. "'If you had come not ten, but a hundred thousand miles, "'if the king even had come from America or from some other distant land, "'even then I should think it is my duty, sacred, so to say, obligation.' "'Does the forest belong to Nadezhda Lvovna?' asked the prince. "'Yes, Nadezhda Lvovna. Is she at home now?' "'Yes.' I tell you what, you go to her, it's no more than half a mile from here. If she gives you a note, then I... I needn't say... <laughs> By all means, I agreed, it's much nearer than to go back.
You go to her, Sergei Ivanovich, I said, addressing the prince. You know her. The prince, who had been gazing the whole time at the crushed fly, raised his eyes to me, thought a minute, and said, I used to know her at one time, but it's rather awkward for me to go to her. Besides, I'm in shabby clothes. You go, you don't know her. It's more suitable for you to go. I agreed. We got into our chaise and, followed by Grantovsky's smiles, drove along the edge of the forest to the manor house. I wasn't acquainted with Nadezhda Lvovna Kandurin. I'd never seen her at close quarters and knew her only by hearsay. I knew that she was incredibly wealthy, richer than anyone else in the province. After the death of her father, Shabelsky, who was a landowner with no other children, she was